To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now with Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 62318. Stop by any of the 108 Atlanta area O'Reilly Auto Parts stores where you'll find everyday low prices on the parts you need to keep your vehicle at its best. Our guaranteed low prices ensure you're always getting our best deal. In fact, we'll match any auto parts store's price on any like item. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Welcome, Cyclone fans, to another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light Podcast. We have another special guest with you today. Uh, it is the summer, but it's never too early to start looking ahead to your 2017-2018 bracketology reports to see where, where Iowa State might fall. Can they go ahead and make a seventh straight NCAA tournament or not? So we went ahead and we got uh, Shelby Mask, USA Today, bracketologist in today to go ahead and give us uh, kind of his rundown where he's at. He's updated his bracket uh, at the end of April, beginning of May, and he's going to give us some thoughts. So at this point, I'm going to bring Shelby in. Shelby, what do you what do you do during the uh, off season after March Madness to keep yourself busy with all that spare time when you're not filling out brackets? Well, the first few weeks are spent in detox, getting my body used to there not being <laughs> any bracketing and basketball going, and then I clear out my DVR from all the stuff that I've missed for the past few months. <laughs> so what's what's on your DVR then? What's something that you weren't able to catch up on during the college basketball season? Uh, well, me and my wife are still a little bit behind on some NCIS episodes and Law and Order SVU, a few movies, things like, I like crime shows, things like that, documentaries. Fair enough. Do you get, do you watch any of the ESPN 30 for 30s by chance? Yep. I watch, I've got, I did, I missed the first season. I've caught up on some of those, but I've seen probably the last 20 or so they've done. Oh, those are fascinating. I just saw, I just saw the other day that they're going to come out with uh, ESPN 30 for 30 podcast here pretty soon. So it'll yeah, be interesting for them to, to do that. I, I think those will be pretty high-quality podcasts as well. Uh, I expect them to be, yes. All right, so let's let's get to the, the talk here. We need to talk about Iowa State and, and mainly your, your bracket. Granted, we're sitting here, we're recording on July 6th. Uh, we have a lot of time here before uh, there hasn't even been a single game played uh, rosters. Iowa state still has a couple of roster spots that are open at this point. Um, but I think one of the reasons that I wanted to bring you in was uh, we're kind of seeing that maybe some uh, bracketologists out there are a little higher on Iowa state than maybe some of the fans are. And that's not what we're usually accustomed to. We're usually accustomed to uh, saying that we're underrated and things like that. But I think, uh, with Monte Morris departing and Matt Thomas and Naz Long and Deontay Burton. Uh, granted, there's a, a pretty good class coming in, but I think uh, it would it would seem that maybe the uh, eight seed that you have them at or had them at back in April is a little higher than what uh, what most Cyclone fans would put them at. So maybe talk us through why you, why you have the Cyclones where you do. 
Well, the, the process I use is after the season, I kind of see who applies for the draft and stays in. Uh, where they get drafted has no effect. It's whether they're coming back to school or not. So I, t- I, I watch those. Mainly I'm looking at guys who are seniors that have left or underclassmen that have left that were impact underclassmen. Uh, one that stuck at, stood out to me was Harry Giles at Duke. That, to me, didn't impact him too much because he wasn't a big, as big of a factor as he was expected to be due to injury issues. And so that didn't really knock them back a whole lot because he wasn't that much of a key player. But, uh, and then, but then Duke wants some other players that were key players, but then the, their incoming class is supposed to be pretty spectacular. So it kind of all evens out for them. But with some of the other schools who don't get the big-name recruits, and I'm going to kind of throw Iowa State in there because they're not one of those teams that typically has a top-10 recruiting class. Uh, those don't always work out to be top-10. You know, you best look at them a few years later to see how they turned out. They get some good recruits, but coming out of high school, they're not. And so I try to factor all that stuff in, do a rough estimate of where I think things are, where I think things are I look at where some of the other national people have their top 25 rankings for the next year, even though those are way too early, just like my bracket is. Uh, but just kind of factor all that in to try to, try to rank teams 1 through 68. Um, it, it's absolutely not exact and usually not even that close. Uh, but you go by coaching as well. Prom has been a very good coach. He, he only admitted Iowa State long, but he was very good uh, at Murray State. And so that's something that will give a team a boost in the early or you know, off season as to where I think they might be. Uh, just try to factor it in and make a guess where I think these teams are going to be and then laugh and see how bad I messed up a few months later. So when you say you don't expect this to be very close, uh, do you ever keep track of your, your preseason bracket or maybe I should say your, your postseason 2017 bracket, the one that you have out on your website right now, to see how close it is, or do you just kind of you make it and then you adjust it and you are mainly focused on when your your last bracket, uh, when all the information is available, all the games have been played, how accurate that particular one is? Well, I when I do my first one, the one that's posted right now, uh, I do make changes to it based on incoming recruits or outgoing players, injuries, coaching changes, things like that. Uh, the one that I the, the one that I release right before the season starts, that's the one that I save, take a picture of basically, and then go back and look like in mid-February or early March and see how close that was. Uh, for the most part, uh, the, the higher seeds, the one through four or five, those kind of tend to stay pretty accurate. I, I guess about a 75% accuracy rating, not necessarily the exact seed, but the teams that make up those top five seats, the top 25 teams, so to speak. Um, Middle-of-the-road teams, you're always going to have a surprise team or two. You're always going to have a team that uh, had higher expectations than they've lived up to. And it, it's kind of funny. It's more laughable than anything. I don't I don't base, you know, really putting stock into it. It's more of a, well, I missed that one, didn't I? Kind of things like that. Well, it's certainly a great discussion piece, Uh in what we like to call the off season, you know, we're we're pretty pretty driven by men's basketball and obviously college football. 
Uh, so it gives us something to talk about during the summer. I think the one thing right. uh, us fans get, get caught up in is kind of looking at this in a vacuum as far as only looking at our team. And I think in the past that's kind of why we've considered Iowa State to be underrated. Maybe now we're, maybe we're, we're thinking that people are pretty high on them. I don't think maybe some fans are understanding that uh, outside of those top teams, those other teams were losing a lot of players either to graduation or leaving early for the NBA or transferring or things like that, you know, with the transfer market. Uh, there's a pretty high percentage of players that aren't even going to be eligible this year um, transferring one school to the next. So would you say that's a, that's a pretty accurate assessment uh, as far as a lot of these other teams that are kind of in Iowa State's domain are, are facing the same issues that the Cyclones are? I agree completely. I, I think there, there's a handful of teams, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, uh, Michigan State, Kansas, that basically reload every year. They very rarely do they have a down year or even a down year by their standards. Uh, Iowa State has been a very, very good team over the past years. That's one of the teams that you watch for. They're going to be in the tournament. Chances are real good they will be. But they're also the team, like I mentioned earlier, they don't get the top five or top ten recruiting classes. Not that all these experts that that, that rank these guys, the the, the incoming recruits, uh, they miss on some of those guys. So you'll see some guys, a, a guy for Iowa State maybe, that's a four-star recruit, and he gets on the court and just competes at a level that nobody expected, which would have made him a five-star. You know, that's that's the kind of player that would go to an Iowa State or some of these other teams like that that don't, you know, that aren't the blue blood, so to speak. Uh, you get a get, get a hit on a guy like that, and that could change your season immensely. Some fans over here in uh, Eastern Iowa, fans of the Hawkeyes, kind of our rival, would. Uh, I shouldn't say kind of. They are. We we don't like those guys. Um, they they seem to think, uh, you know, they were on the bubble last year. They're returning almost everyone uh, besides Peter Jock, who happened to be Big Ten's leading scorer, I believe. So it's a pretty big loss. Um, but everyone else, for that that matter, is returning. Uh, they, they went to the NIT. They lost to TCU. Uh, do you put any stock into a team's performance in the NIT uh, when it comes to predicting for the next year? Very rarely. Uh, TCU might be an instance where I put a little bit of stock because they had a first-year coach, a lot of young players, and they pretty much have everyone back. Uh, so I've got them in my bracket right now for the upcoming year. Uh, I think they have learned enough in that year with that team that they can – that their confidence level is going to be higher. It grew, you watched it grow last year. It started off good, but then kind of you know, tapered off near the end and almost got in the tournament, but then their NIT performance really stood out. Um, and I, they're right up the road for me. I live in the DFW area. So that's, that was really kind of cool to have a team that, that performed well in postseason play. Uh, we're not used to that here. We're a football state. But, uh, but a team like TCU, yes, I think that helps them. For the most part, I, I, it just depends on the situation. You've got a lot of younger players or players that are coming back and they really learn from that experience, yes. But you see a lot of times where these teams that go into the NIT and are mad because they felt they should have been in the big dance, and so they just basically don't show up. Uh, it's hard to really put any stock into that kind of performance because 
they're they're just they're not their hearts not into it at that point. When I look at your bracket, one of the hardest teams I think in all of college basketball to predict for next season is who Iowa State opens up with uh, for the season. That's University of Missouri. Uh, they go from basically a big dumpster fire uh, to all of a sudden they bring in a new coach. Uh, they get maybe the number one draft pick for the next NBA draft in Michael Porter, uh, and they get some other good recruits coming in. They possibly will be getting his brother. Uh, for me, that that doesn't necessarily mean an NCAA tournament. You saw how it worked with Ben Simmons at LSU and even Markel Fultz out at Washington. Uh, those high draft picks don't necessarily mean success. Who's who's a team that you struggled with the most as far as maybe changing the most between a roster change or a coaching change or just has the most unknowns going into this college basketball season? Yeah, Missouri was probably one of the top two because I had, I wasn't even considering them at all. And then they get the recruits and they get Quanzo as coach. And all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, do I put them in now back, you know, maybe a playing game or whatever, last four in or first four out. I've got them just outside of my first four out right now. My bracket has changed. I haven't updated it, but there's been a few minor changes uh, throughout. Uh, but Missouri's one I really struggled with putting in because I, on paper, they look like they can compete. But, Let's see how all these pieces fit together. And you can have the best recruits out there, but if they don't mesh well as a team, you're just, you know, LSU was the one that two years ago, I agree with the Ben Simmons thing. They had, what, three or four guys that were top 25 recruits. That that situation was ripe for a tournament run. And I believe because of coaching, they just couldn't get there. Um, but it's, you just, you don't know. So you put the guys together and let them play. And that's why, the bracket right now is mainly for fun, which most of them are. But once these teams start playing their preseason, see how they mesh together, read reports. Was there anything that worried reporters or coaches about guys playing together or whatever? See how all that works out, and then, then you have a better picture uh, once the season starts, I think. But then once they play the real games, and we got to wait and see what the schedules are too because you know, the committee always says, they want these teams to challenge themselves, and we find year after year these teams complaining. I'm going to throw Wichita State out there for last year. They were a good team, but they didn't play a tough enough schedule. And I, I, I'm sorry, but that's, you know, the NCAA says, here's what you got to do, and if you don't do it, you're either not going to be in the tournament or you're not going to have a very high seed. And so, the, you know, everybody knows what they should do to get in the tournament. Um, pretty simple, I think. So you mentioned the you mentioned the committee. Uh, is there anything that you've heard uh, you know for a fact to be changing in how they look at teams as far as a resume is concerned? You know, it used to be that maybe they'd look at the last ten games played. They threw that out. Um, they started to bring in some more uh, analytics like Ken Pomeroy rankings and, and different things like that. Is there anything that you've heard that they're going to change uh, or be looking at teams this year? The, the main thing I heard was near the end of uh, last season, before the tournament, so it wasn't going to go into effect with this past tournament, but starting this upcoming season, they are going to, like you said, bring in more analytics, more metrics, start using other variables. How much they use those, I don't know. My, my thing, what it's always been for me, who did you play, where did you play them, how did you do? I, I, I can't see it 
getting any simpler than that. If you're playing a bunch of weak teams, you haven't proven yourself to be that solid of a team. If you're in a middling-type conference and you play a bunch of weak teams, that hurts. If you're in a middling conference and you play one of the tougher schedules in the country, they're going to reward you for that. You don't necessarily have to win every single game. You've got to win some games to prove you're a good team. But they're looking for these teams to challenge themselves to, you know, we're doing what the committee wants us to do to get in. If you don't do it, then, then you don't get in. I am very interested to see how – because each committee member – does basically their own thing, and it's a voting process. So there may be one committee member that puts a whole lot of stock into Ken Palm, whereas somebody else just completely ignores it, and those votes would kind of offset each other. So is it going to help, hurt, or is there going to be no change? My guess is we're really not going to see too big of a change. With that being said, will you try to, when you make your brackets, try to predict what, the committee will do. It sounds like all these committee members are kind of independent contractors, if you will, working on their own systems. Or will you you put in based on your criteria and what what you think should or will happen? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna start the season doing what I have always done because I think there'll be enough I don't want to say dissension, but a, enough differing opinions in the committee room that they'll kind of offset each other and it it, it won't matter in the end. I think the prevailing who, where, and how did you do is what's going to win out over everybody. Uh, uh, Gonzaga was the number one Ken Palm team last year. They were a very good team. Had a good season. I had no problem with them being a one seed. But if somebody, you know, if they were lower ranked in a different metric, maybe like down 10 or so, and some committee member really pushes that, hey, they're not as good in this metric. I, I just don't think that will be enough to really change the way the, thing, the, the whole thing is done. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions here that I didn't get to during the season just because when we're in the middle of the season, there's so many bracketing things that we can talk about, uh, kind of some general college basketball things that affect the tournament a little bit. There's a lot of talk, uh, again, about the one-and-done rule in college basketball. It's not a college rule, if I understand it correctly. It's an NBA rule. Um and then, you know, they don't have to necessarily go to college that year. They can go overseas and play before they're able to enter the NBA draft. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on the one-and-done rule? Do you, would you prefer that uh, players are just able to leave right after high school, uh, or would you prefer that they uh, go to one year of college or professional ball before they enter the NBA draft? I'm kind of torn on it because as an 18-year-old, you're, you're supposed to get a job and go to work. If you're good enough to play in the NBA, why can't you – that be your job and you go to work? But then there's me as the college basketball fan being selfish. I'd like to, to see him stay at least two years. I know the NFL rule is three years out of school. I, I don't know how that's held up because, uh, you know, as being able to you – know, you go to college to get, a, to get a degree so you can get a good job. Well, if you can skip that and still get the, the good job, I, with NFL, I can kind of understand it because the kids are just not physically there. A high school senior going into the NFL would be eaten alive. Basketball is a different sport. Right. You can do it. So, But, you know, again, me as a, as a fan, I would love to see him stay at least two years so you, you kind of know you got that player for a couple of years. Uh, but me as a sort of hardworking American if they're 18 and want to get a job doing that, 
let him get a job and do that. I'm I'm with you there. The the fan in me is looking. I'm looking at the NBA draft results. Obviously, Fultz, the number one pick. Uh, they weren't they weren't in the tournament. Uh, but you're talking about taking away probably Lonzo Ball, Jason Tatum, uh, Josh Jackson, uh, De'Aaron Fox. All a lot of these guys. Zach Collins, Malik Monk. A lot of these guys you're taking out of the NCAA tournament, and they were kind of instrumental in making some of those moments that. Uh, we all love about the NCAA tournament. Obviously, if they're gone, someone else is going to be in those shoes. But um, obviously, I know, I know it helps the NBA. Uh, it's kind of a free marketing campaign for for their players uh, when they come into the league. Uh, and on the other side, though, I, I know players can still – they don't have to go to college. They I believe they can go straight to the – well, it used to be the D League or the G League, I believe, right out of high school. Am I correct with that? I think so. I think they can go there now, but many of them choose not to because the money, I, I mean, $40,000 when your potential is there for millions, but I don't know. I want to say that rule may have changed because the D-League teams are owned by NBA teams. What's to prevent them from being called up? I don't know. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's obviously the, the ability to play overseas, but then you're also – uh, with, with football, you're worried about playing with grown men. Uh, when you go overseas as an 18-year-old or 17-year-old, if you're young for your grade, uh, that can present a lot of other issues as well. And then uh, the, yep. the last topic I, I wanted to touch on, and it hasn't – at one point it, it was kind of starting to steamroll a little bit, but it, it's kind of died off, is the talk about possibly moving uh, March Madness to May Madness. Uh, and making the college basketball season just a one-semester sport instead of splitting it between the first and the second semester. Uh, so you'd start with your original games, uh, you know, beginning of January, and you work your way out uh, to the end of the school year and have it in May, uh, when honestly there, there's uh, NBA playoffs are going on. They'd be competing with that. They'd be competing with baseball, um, some different things like that. Uh, I know, know for you maybe – old school as far as you love March Madness, what are your thoughts about transitioning to a, a May Madness? Which rolls off the tongue better, March Madness or May Madness? I mean, I, I, <laughs> well, they, 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 I, I, they both kind of alliterate, but it's it's been March Madness for so long. <laughs> yeah, it has been, and that's the way I will always look at it, even if it does happen in May. I, I just don't see that happening uh, because you got final exams to worry about in May, and things, you know, they're student athletes. They're not just athletes; they're student athletes. They keep, you know, spoon feeding us that and forcing it down our throat that you know these are student athletes first. And whether you believe that or not, you know, that's up to you. But I, I think that would throw kind of a monkey wrench. The fact that it would be during finals when March Madness takes place during spring break, partly during spring break. All right, Shelby. When when can we catch your uh, your newest and updated bracket, or, or how many times can we expect maybe an update between now and the start of college basketball season in November? It depends on how many Natty Lights I drink. Um, I am I usually, <laughs> Natty Light. Natty I usually, Light. We'll, we'll yeah. like that. <laughs> you have to throw that out there for you. Um, I, I think my <laughs> my next one will probably be about a week before the season starts. I update it myself, my own little spreadsheet. And then as it gets closer and all these preseason, all, all the you know, all that stuff takes place, make sure rosters are set. 
schedules. We don't hardly know anybody's schedule yet. I need to see all that stuff, and I start factoring that in. And so it, you know, all that starts being released in early October or late September, but all of it should be released by early October. Season starts mid-November. Hopefully by early November is when I should have another one out. And then again, January 1st starts daily updates. Well, we appreciate your time, Shelby. Uh, I know this is precious uh, DVR time for you, uh, getting caught up in all that before the season starts. Uh, but we do appreciate you stopping by and taking taking the time to talk about some summer bracketology. We'll go ahead and post uh, your your site in the show notes so fans can check it out for themselves and, and keep updated with that. I appreciate you having me. Always glad to do it. And thank you, Iowa State fans, for not harassing me for the early season eight season. Hey, hey! I, they're probably going to be sending you cases of beer in the mail because, I, like I said earlier, you're, you're a lot higher on them than I think uh, some of us around here are on. Granted, this this is the middle of the summer, so uh, I think once basketball season rolls around, you know, there's fan bases are always full of optimism uh, right before the opening tip. I have never turned down a free beer and never will. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Shelby, again. That was Shelby Mast. Uh, bracketologist for the USA Today, uh, keeping tabs on our Cyclones here. Uh, Granted, it is only July, but it's never too early to start looking ahead uh, to March Madness. If you would be so kind, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. This is the Wide Right and Eddie Light podcast. Thanks for listening.